Hi everybody. <laughs> this is Tyla. And I intended to start recording this podcast intro about an hour ago and I have been sitting here feeling my feelings. <clears throat> and processing what I have to say, <laughs> you know, kind of pre-processing, trying to build a sort of an outline so I can feel grounded in this conversation with you here today. And so I started the recording before I felt ready <laughs> because I was feeling like if I waited until I was ready to talk to you, I might never start. <laughs> So, welcome. Thank you for being here. My name is Tyla, and this is my podcast. <laughs> it's called A Year Ago Today. And I'm learning right now how to wield this platform in a way that feels good to me and I've been experimenting a lot with that so if you've been listening <laughs> thank you for bearing with me while I'm figuring it out and if you're just joining now welcome thrilled to have you <laughs> thank you for being here uh, if you only want to hear the part of this where Melanie talks, because I'm going to talk for a minute or two in this intro. But if you're here for the conversation with my guest, Melanie Elkin, and you would like to skip forward, I don't know the exact time stamp to tell you because I'm not yet sure how long this intro is going to be. However, what I can tell you is that the length of my conversation with Melanie is an hour and 15 minutes. So... You can kind of work backwards, I'm hoping, and find approximately where that conversation begins if you're not interested in the preamble that I have to offer. And I won't be offended. <laughs> okay. I have notes to guide me. I don't know if I already said that. Oh good, I did the first part, right? Oh, okay. It says, I wanted to talk to you. I wanted to talk to you about if her name is pronounced Nia or Naya. I've heard it both ways. And... <laughs> 
Yes, I should have gotten clear on that before I got on here. Mm. I started to and then I got distracted. And so I hope you'll forgive me. For me, it was instinctive to say Nia, so I'm going to continue saying that. Um, and I'm happy to be corrected if you know differently. <laughs> In my mind just now I heard the hashtag, you know, everyone says say her name. And then I was like, and I'm over here maybe saying it wrong. <laughs> Ugh. And that's the fear, right? That's the fear that in talking about racism, we're going to say something wrong or we're going to say something right. Because <laughs> when you say the wrong thing, I think it's when you're doing unintentional harm. And a lot of times when you say the right thing, it's when the person across from you suddenly gets very, very, very defensive and just hurls back at you whatever you've said. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've been called a racist in the last couple months. And it's true. You know, I am a racist. I think we're all a little bit racist. Some of us are a lot of bit racist. Simply because <laughs> we've been, all of us, been brought up in a world where we're conditioned to center whiteness. And when you really start unpacking what that means for the way you live your life and the way you don't even realize you're pushing other people to the margins by the way you're living, there's a lot there. And so, and so that's why a lot of people choose not to look at racial violence. This 18-year-old young woman was standing on a BART train platform in Oakland, California on Sunday night, and a white supremacist man walked up to her and slit her throat. and also stabbed her younger sister. And Mia died at the scene. <sighs> and despite the fact that a crime like this should have been like page one national headline news immediately, it wasn't. <laughs> because we live in a racist society that does not value the lives of black and brown people. I am actively pursuing anti-racism work inside my personal psyche and my personal world. I am creating new relationships. I am healing old wounds. I'm accepting responsibility. And, whew, it's big work, y'all, <laughs> to begin to 
fundamentally reimagine how you see the world and your place in it and how your place in it affects others <laughs> especially when you have some power but you don't wield it to help those who are suffering ah <laughs> you know it's hard right now not to just have this feeling like white women are monsters <laughs> uh. And I am a white woman, you know? Oof. And I'm only now truly beginning to understand, and I've had to work at it. And I don't, I want to be clear, I do not desire or require any praise for this work because <clears throat> this is this is the kind of work that all of us should be doing <laughs> we can't ignore that 18 year old black women are being indiscriminately murdered in the streets and that it's not even front page news. That the language we use to talk about these kind of crimes is still totally, totally <laughs> manipulative in terms of perpetuating the stereotypical images, you know, of a white man who's a murderer being crazy, mentally ill, unhinged, and of all black and brown people just being like criminals <laughs> they're all criminals you know that's it that's it's so ridiculous it's so ridiculous that the media can still get away with this ah and it's scary for me to get on here and voice my rage because it's like well what like what right do i even have to be enraged i'm so late to the fight there's so much guilt around how blind i've been my whole life cuz this shit is not new it's just that there have been enough people being loud enough about it now for a long enough time that it's starting to really really come to the forefront of the national consciousness thank god Nia Wilson was the youngest of six sisters and two brothers. <laughs> Can you imagine how that family is grieving? <laughs> Oof. imagine the kind of fear <laughs> that people of color have to feel <laughs> all day every day 
afraid to go outside, <laughs> afraid to let their children go outside, <laughs> afraid their children are going to talk to the wrong white strangers and get killed. <laughs> These are things that happen in America today, you guys. <laughs> oh, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And, you know, it's our white privilege that allows us to not pay attention because our lives are not on the line. We don't have to be scared. This shit ain't happening to white people. And frankly, <laughs> I don't know why, because holy shit, like, <sighs> you know, there is, there's a stereotype of black people being angry, and I don't think that that's necessarily true. However, how can they not be? <laughs> How can they not be angry all the time? <laughs> I would be angry all the time if I was constantly fearing for my life. Oh my god. <sighs> okay, so now that I've dumped all of my feelings about this on you, For only 13 minutes, that's pretty good. Here in a minute, well in 20 seconds, I want to have a full minute of silence for Nia Wilson or Naya Wilson. I pray that she'll forgive me for not knowing how to pronounce her name. Thank you for allowing me that space. I want to read something that Anne Hathaway said, Anne Hathaway posted, and I'm fully present <laughs> to the fact that just like I'm like, <laughs> you know, no one deserves thanks for this work, you know, Anne Hathaway speaking out is what every white woman in Hollywood should be doing. Every, I mean, every white person <laughs> right now 
should be standing up and saying no, you know, like just like we will not tear babies from their mothers at the borders. Like we will not let 18 year old girls get murdered in the streets. Ugh. Anyway, it is interesting though because, you know, I'm assuming the reason it's all over the news is because Anne Hathaway is one of the first white women to use her platform in this way. And I'm grateful because I know that takes courage. <laughs> I know that takes courage. And seeing her wield her words so effectively and with such efficiency, <laughs> which is something I continue to work on, inspires me. So I'm going to share with you what Anne Hathaway wrote. The murder of Nia Wilson, may she rest in the power and peace she was denied here, is unspeakable and must not be met with silence. She is not a hashtag. She was a black woman, and she was murdered in cold blood by a white man. White people, including me, including you, must take into the marrow of our privileged bones the truth that all black people fear for their lives daily in America and have done so for generations. White people do not have equivalents for this fear of violence. Given those givens, we must ask our white selves how decent are we really? Not in our intent, but in our actions, in our lack of action. Peace and prayers and justice for Nia and the Wilson family. So, I'm going to link to some things in the show notes. I'm going to link to a place where you can donate. Nia's family. I'm going to link to a New York Times article that I highly, highly, highly recommend you read. Um, while it is late, I do appreciate the way it's written. Oh, okay. And now I'm going to look back at my notes and see what's next. This episode, I need to tell you about what we're going to talk about. Ah, okay. So... This week, I'm talking to Melanie Elkin. She is the founder of a business called Yogalicious, which I love so much. And she is a dear, dear friend and client of mine. Mm, I love her. I have written here, who is Melanie to me? This woman has changed my life. She has really held space for me to work through some boundary issues inside my business and she has been a real friend to me as I've been <laughs> going through some challenging things emotionally you know it's interesting to be friends with someone and also have a working relationship with them and I think it's really rare to be able to cultivate that and she and I have and I think we both feel so bolstered by one another's presence and that exchange is really really, really evident, I feel, in this conversation. Um, it's also really evident in her newsletters because that is the capacity in which I work with Melanie. I support her with her writing. So the way it works is she will get all of her thoughts on paper and she'll send them to me. And I 
take them and make sure they're structurally anchored. You know, that there's a flow throughout the piece and, you know, fill in any articles where I, where I've got the same kind of, um, spiritual grounding as, as Melanie. I can support her in fleshing out these ideas and concepts that are coming through and, um, upgrade her language to really support her in sounding like the clearest, strongest, most direct version of herself so she can be the most effective. And so we've written all these beautiful newsletters together, and I I think there's probably a backlog of them on her blog. If you want to go check that out, I will put that in the show notes. (laughs) Making lots of promises this week. Um, What are we talking about this week? We're talking about her journey with anorexia and disordered eating. And I have written here, like white supremacy, the societal standards of women's beauty is a form of oppression that needs to be actively addressed and eradicated. So this is true. Just this past couple of weeks, there have been some big news pieces. Um, Big news to me. It's interesting because I'm following the people I follow on Instagram, I'm very aware of what, like, body positive activism, I hope that's the right term for it, I'm not totally acquainted with the language, um, and I'm increasingly, in increasingly bearing witness to and taking part in anti-racism work, so these are the places that I'm getting my information. So it's interesting because these things have been very much at the forefront of my consciousness. And I'm just now beginning to realize that like maybe not everybody out there knows what's going on. So I'm going to share with you a couple of news items that relate to this week's story, this week's episode. All right. First, there was a billboard in Times Square It may still be there at this point. I think it probably still is. Yeah, or else it would have been in the news that it was taken down. Okay. So there's this billboard in Times Square advertising appetite suppressant lollipops. And the... It's got pictures of these, like, young, beautiful women with lollipops. Like, how sexualized can you get? It's disgusting. Um, And the message on, like, the slogan says, girl, tell them to suck it. Just like, oh my god, it's like... Have our lolly like have our lollipops, our appetite suppressants. Be super thin so that you can have lots of dicks to suck. And <laughs> I use that language because it is shocking. It is shocking that advertising companies can get away with this shit. Anyway, ugh, that's news item number one. There's a petition to get that billboard taken down. I will put the link to the petition in the show notes. Please, please go sign it please go sign it. We should not be transmitting the message that, (laughs) oh oh my God, I just can't even put the message into words. (sighs) We got to stop selling the idea that you need to suppress your appetite so you can be pleasing to men because all you are is a sex object. That's what that ad says. Oh my God. My left ovary just started to activate which feels painful (laughs) as I was talking. Okay, so that pain's related to rage, obviously. Ah, So that's news item number one. News item number two. (laughs) There is a show coming to Netflix that um, is about a 
blonde white woman who is fat. The actress is not really fat. She's wearing a fat suit. Um, and then she gets skinny over the summer and comes back to school and is all popular and starts getting revenge on the people who bullied her. And the name of the show is Insatiable. And in the original trailer, there was a line about how she, how having her jaw wired shut for the summer had helped her lose all this weight. And so, of course, anyone who's ever, ever struggled with disordered eating or any kind of, like, body image issues at all, like, oh, my God, I just can't even, (sighs) like, again, we have got to stop selling the idea (laughs) that this is what healthy looks like or that this is what sexy looks like. This is, this is what sick looks like. (laughs) This is what America looks like. America is sick. And it's because we are peddling these ideas as entertainment that are very, very dangerous. So, okay, bringing it back down. In my notes, it says there's all, (laughs) it says there's been all this hoo-ha with the Netflix show. (laughs) Like who wrote these notes? It was me. Um, I want to thank Megan Jane Crabb and Florence Given. Those are the women I follow on Instagram who, whose newsfeed or whose like posts, whatever, alerted me to both of these things and enabled me to sign both of these petitions and now to tell you about it. So I'm going to put all the petition links in the show notes. There will also be links to like things where you can go read about what I'm talking about in the show notes. If you're like... Wow, Tyla, that was a very vague outline of what's going on. It sounds like you don't really know all the details. Then you're right. I don't know all the details. However, you can go read it yourself. And then you can know all the details and you can fill me in. Because that's, if you help me learn something, I'll be more likely to remember it. Especially if you do it nicely. Okay. (laughs) I'm reading my notes to see what else I need to say. Okay, so it's very timely, yes? <laughs> Goddess aligns my life with such perfection that all this is in the news, and I just happen to have an episode about disordered eating recorded with one of my favorite, favorite women on the face of the planet that I've met so far. And uh, <laughs> not to make it sound like she's going to be bumped out, you know, I, I think I can have a lot of favorites, which I do. Anyway, it's really cool that it has lined up like this. And I would love to know how it makes you feel. I would love to know if you've struggled with body image issues and what that's felt like for you. And I am going to... Oof. Should I say this out loud? I'm going to commit to creating some space on social media. I'll post on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, So you can engage on either of those social media accounts if you want to talk with me. You know, a year ago today is just me right now in terms of... (laughs) That's not true. I also have my sound engineer, Alex, and my producer, Sally. Although she's producing quite a lot of things in her life right now. So we haven't been that involved in terms of the podcast. Which reminds me... I am calling in a fabulous podcast producer. I am looking for someone who can listen to the content that I've got and hear 
the storyline that's happening um, as the season unfolds. Especially now that we're getting up to the point where we're about to start hearing episodes that were recorded as Matt and I were breaking up. And I have some really raw audio that I'm going to release around that. Um, Anyway, I just... I would love to have someone on my team who has my best interest at heart and who understands the kind of work I'm trying to do in the world and who really enjoys my presence and gets a lot from being around me and who would like to help me shape this show. So, I'll also say up front that I do not currently have money coming in to support that person financially. However, I do intend to set up a Patreon. I very seriously intend to setting up a Patreon for this podcast in the next week or two and to start calling in support um, with much more fervor because I love this show and I want to see it succeed and I need help. <laughs> so that's coming up. And the last thing is that if you listen all the way through this episode. How long is this intro right now? I want to see. Um, 30 minutes. Wow. Okay. If you listen all the way through this episode, there is a special offer from Melanie all the way at the end for something that she's got going on that I wish I could be a part of. It's not aligned for me in this moment, but if you are resonating with Melanie's voice, be sure to listen through to the end because she has just... um, really offered a a gift to the listeners who resonate with her voice and who want to consider want to consider the possibility of getting a little bit more intimate with her (laughs) all right I think that's everything thank you for your attention um let me see is there anything else here in my no that's it thanks for listening if you could rate and review the show on iTunes, that would mean a lot to me. It would be it would mean even more to me if you could do it and then take a screenshot of it and send it to me. <laughs> um, I'm a year ago podcast at gmail.com or you can like send it to me via Instagram or something. The handle is a year ago podcast. Um, and you can follow me personally on Instagram at Tyla Fowler and you can follow Melanie on Instagram at yogalicious_mel, and I'll put all of that in the show notes for you. So Please follow, please share, please rate and review. Your support really means so much to me. And um, make sure you're taking care of yourself right now. There's a lot happening. (laughs) There's a lot shifting and changing. And there's a lot going on astrologically. There's a full moon tonight. When this comes out, it'll be Friday morning. So there's a full moon tonight. And I don't yet know that much about it. However, I know there's also a lunar eclipse. And I know that we just got through cancer season, which means there was a lot of high emotions. Cancer is the most emotional sign. I am a cancer. Um, And just be aware. If you're feeling a little tender or watery or exhausted or overwhelmed or alone or devastated or terrified, whatever it is that you're feeling, just know that you're not alone. There's something bigger that connects us all 
and something we are all feeling right now. And we're all dealing with it in different ways and we all need to take care of ourselves. So also please know that this is about disordered eating, this content. So if that is triggering for you, please practice incredible discernment around how you take this content in. I do think it's powerfully healing and it's always up to you to set your boundaries with what feels good. Okay, that's it. <laughs> love you, love you, love you. Um, let me know what you think. <sighs> Black Lives Matter. Mia Wilson. Say her name. Talk about her. Google her. Read about her. <sighs> Watch the footage of her on her Instagram. She's so beautiful. And if you're going to talk to any people of color, be really careful about how you do it. Because if you were a white person, it is likely you were walking around with a whole bunch of loaded weapons you don't even know you have. Because that's what white privilege is. So be careful out there. Let's all avoid hurting each other. Take care of each other. Love each other. Keep ourselves safe. Reach out if you need support. Call your friends. Don't wait for them to reach out to you. Be well. so excited to dive in. Me too. Me too. Ugh. Well, let me tell everybody, I, I mean, there will be, I'll record an intro to put at the top of this episode, you know, okay. to like formally introduce you. Cool. Um, for everybody out there listening, this is Melanie. Hi, Melanie. Hi. <laughs> Melanie is incredible. She runs a business called Yogalicious. And what's your little elevator pitch for Yogalicious, Mel? That's a good question. I'm really the the work that I do is about supporting women, although I love you men, but this is really it's a woman centered business um, <laughs> coming home to themselves, coming home to their essential mm -hmm. selves, their essential expression, unapologetic, unfiltered. This is who I am. And I do that through a, a many modalities, yoga, meditation, breath work, Ayurveda, coaching, somatic work. I'm sure that if yeah. you send them a link that they can learn more details, but that, that to me is the nugget. It's really who, being who you are and helping women come home to that. Unapologetically, this is me. Exactly. That's my favorite, favorite thing. That's what I'm really like deepening into lately and it's radically changing my life. <laughs> I feel you need to because <laughs> it's always a journey as we know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Okay. Well, let's, Let's dive in. I'm going to invite you now, Melanie, to put a hand on your heart and a hand on your womb and start breathing really deeply into your body and into your body's memory and allow yourself to really go all the way back to 16 years ago today. And when you've landed, share with me in one word how you feel. Mm. Tender. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. What a gorgeous word. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it encapsulates so much. Yes. All right. Now, if you wouldn't mind, can you share with everybody in one sentence what was going on for you a year ago today, or 16 years ago today? <laughs> 16 years ago today, I was being wheelchaired into the intensive eating disorder unit at UCLA Medical for anorexia. Mm. Chills. Oh. I just got the chills. Yeah. It's interesting. I got a wave of heat through mm. my body. You got chills Gorgeous. and I got heat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so big. It is so big. And I just got another wave of chills as soon as you said that. My body got the chills and then it was like a yes that there's Yes, it is so big. So what's present for you? What's most present for you right now as you feel into the bigness of this experience? Mm. Well, the first thought that comes through when you when you ask that question, I is it it almost feels like it didn't happen. I'm I, mm. <laughs> I I, and I laugh and, and, and there, it's like my body just has this very, what's present is my body very viscerally is remembering that moment in time. And yet I feel like I'm telling you the story about someone else. Mm. Mm -hmm. It just feels, it, it, in some ways, it feels so, I feel so different in how I'm experiencing my life and my body and my breath and all of that, you know, all the parts that make me, me. And so I'm very present to, it's not a disassociatedness because I don't feel disassociated. It's just, there's, there's a, um, it's this both and <laughs> it's this mm -hmm. both and of I know that I experienced that and it's part of my story and part of why I do the work I do in the world and, and who makes me me. This is me, right? Um, mm -hmm. And also yet it feels so foreign at the same time to me. Yeah, it's almost like, who was that girl? Mm -hmm. It makes me almost want to tear up when you say that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well... Can you tell me a little bit about, about who was that girl and, and how, you know, you don't have to go into any more depth than you feel mm. called to, but kind of about how you ended up in that wheelchair being wheeled in, however much story you feel called to share around that. Okay. How long do we have? Do we have five, five hours? I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> well, I've been trying to keep these things to an hour, but often <laughs> they go to about an hour and 15 yeah. minutes. So well, I, I'm going to do my best to, um, give whoever's listening to this some some background and also not go so much into story um although I'm, I'm I'll interrupt okay, you if please, I feel like thank you're, you if you're yes, getting too deep you really <laughs> to do that? okay great because I could, I could probably get off on on tangents um I mean, my experience is I'm, I'm happy to share it I'm happy to share as much and you can ask questions too because it's to me a very open book um mm -hmm. sharing that I want to offer um, what was happening? 
I, from a very, very early age, I remember um, feeling self-conscious about my body and my weight. Um, it was very present in my household. Um, you know, I, I love my mom and we have done a lot of healing around this and it came to the surface that a lot of, uh, a lot of her fears of obesity and being overweight um, was being projected onto me and, and her fear of me just being pretty, just curvy, normal kid, whatever normal is. I don't even use that word very often. Um, so I remember, I mean, there's very pivotal moments of really, I would say as early as five, remembering feeling like I had to hide somehow, like the, the body that I had, that I was birthed into, that I was, I was given as this gift was not enough. And I felt like if I could just be thin enough, whatever that concept was for me at that time, um, which to me was a lot of what I saw in society and also what I heard at home, um, then maybe, then maybe I would be quote unquote popular enough or I'd be, and really what's underneath that is I would be loved. I'd be accepted. And so moving from that, um, some pivotal, I'll go through some pivotal points. So then when I was nine, my mom had me uh, go to a nutritionist because, again, that was just the obsession. It was on weight and food. Um, and it, it started, which both times I w went through anorexia, started as a healthy thing. Um, just, you know, be more mindful of what I was eating. Um, it was very calorie-based. And then for me, it just became something of a place where I could control. Um, life felt very out of control in many ways. So it wasn't, it was, it looked like it was just about getting thinner, but really when I dissected, it was also a control thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, really, when we start to dissect it, it's about patriarchy. For sure. Well, that whole... too. <laughs> I, we can we'll get, I'm that. happy to get into that because that's a whole other, yeah, 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 right. Um, and yeah, actually, I'm going to require that we get okay. into that. Don't let me forget. All right. All right. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Um, and yeah, I mean, to sum it up, I, it, it started as something healthy and then healthy, whatever healthy is, because I actually just wrote a post about that on Facebook the other day, that I think we have a very patriarchal bullshit idea of what health is in our culture, but that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I, can you tell my energy is getting even more passionate? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad this is the place yeah, for it. Well, I, it's, it, I mean, so I was, I mean, I really bought into that lie. I bought into a lie that if I could just get thin enough and it wasn't even like I was attached to a certain number, it was just an image. It was an idea of what I thought I needed to look like. And then, and then it just, it, it got progressively worse. Um, it went from 1500 calories one week to 1200 the next to 800 the next after that it just became this thing of how much could I do how much could I could I lose and i and I think in our culture we give a lot and this this also makes me I get the chills and I can feel some emotion coming in that we, we give so much attention and validation to what people look like and and it's so much on the image and so I was really and and at that point in time I didn't really know myself um, that's so funny. My mom, by the way, literally just texted me. That's random. That's mm. interesting. She must be feeling our what vibes. Is, I was about to say, what does the text say? <laughs> she said, I think she said, oh my God, that's bizarre. 
She said she eat? says eating lunch at Kava, which is okay. I know we just got off. I will go back to that mo- in a moment. I kind of remember what I was saying. Yeah, that's random, right? Okay, not random because here I am talking about food and my relationship <laughs> to random, my mom and all that. Yeah, um, it's a gift it's from a God. Gift from God, that was that was definitely divine spirit right there. Um, hey God, we see you. That's right, <laughs> goddess. goddess. There you go. Yes. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, I really bought into the lie that if I could just look this particular way, and I know I already said that, so now I'm remembering where I was going. Um, and now I've lost my train of thought, so I'm going to pause there for a moment because there's something that wants to come through. Hmm. Hmm. <sighs> I don't remember what I was going to say exactly, but I'll just go from what's present right now. Is um, I got a lot of positive validation. That was what I was going to say. I got a lot of positive validation for what it looks like. And so it just kept feeding that feeling that because I really didn't know who I was, and I'm always learning, um, I was like, how much more can I go? How much more can I go? Or am I going to lose this now because I'm getting all this attention and am I going to lose it? Um, and so it got to the point when I was 12, I was actually taken out of school. So this is... This is the anniversary of being hospitalized, but this is, um, I want to give you a little backstory because I, I was anorexic one previous time before being hospitalized. So started really young. So this is the yes. first time. So at 12. Yes. So my parents had taken me out of school at that point and intensive outpatient program. Um, and while I, I definitely got some understanding of why you know, what was underneath this eating disorder for me, um, I feel like I wasn't really developed enough at that period of time to really get it. Um, and so then I was able to have a period of time in high school, which was, you know, it's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Never feeling like I fit in. It should be the type mm. topic of that. Um, but I was able to make it through, through high school without the intensity of the anorexia. And then, and then I went to college and I went to UC Santa Barbara I still live in Santa Barbara today, and um, it was my first time away from home. I really didn't know myself. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm an only child. It was the first time that I was away from my family, and I remember going to college and feeling like, because I didn't feel that sense of, I, this is me, unapologetically, I knew one way that I could get attention was through my body and through my weight. And I will say, you know, not just in Santa Barbara. I'm a huge fan of it. I love it. I've lived here for many years now. Um, it is very image-based, which I think is just mm-hmm. our culture, you know? And so I really bought into that. And um, again, at that period of time, it started as, I'm not going to gain the freshman 15, you know? As even as I say that, it sounds so ridiculous. Although I, I'm just going to tell you straight up how it was at that time and what my thought process was, and then it and then it mm-hmm. became um, similar as to when I was 12. One week it was 1,800 calories, the next week it was 1,600. All these ways that I was controlling my body, myself, my emotions, my expression, my. Uh, anger, my sadness, my fear, all of it. I mean, as I can look back at it now, I didn't have that awareness then. Um, yeah, you didn't no. know what you were doing. No. You were just doing exactly. it. Exactly. I really thought it was all just because 
I wanted to be thin. And, and now here I am, you know, 16 years later, I can really see, well, what, what, what was thin? What did that even mean for me? Mm-hmm. And it meant so many mm-hmm. of those things. Um, uh, so yeah. And then, and then it just got progressively worse again for me. And I kept making those choices to restrict and exercise. Now I was 18 at this point. So exercise was in the mix where it wasn't as much in the mix when I was 12. Um, so I was an over-exerciser and eating about, by the end there, before I was hospitalized, I was eating about 250 calories a day, um, Mm. which is like a snack, you know what I mean? And, and and I don't even think about calories anymore, so it's interesting to talk about it, but, um, yeah, I really got to a point where... My parents took me out of school, so this was about a month before the 16-year anniversary. Um, I couldn't hide from it anymore. My friends all knew about it. I was the anorexic girl at college. I, mm. I couldn't stay at the college anymore because my mom was, was monitoring me at, at student health. Um, and they would only let me get to a certain weight to stay there at school. And so I was home for a month, and this is... This is the moment here. So I was home for a month and was going to the gym every day. I was super pissed at my family. I wasn't even talking to my dad. Uh, my mom and I were in it all the time. I was in super denial. Uh, I knew. I mean, I knew that, that stuff had gotten pretty bad. Um, I don't want to say bad. had gotten pretty severe. And mm-hmm. I was not ready to face it yet. And... Um, and I just like to cue you all in. As far as my health, I was losing my hair. And I can talk whatever I want on this podcast, right? I can just be like super TMI, right? Yeah, please. Do. I remember That's like my favorite okay, thing. Great. I remember <laughs> not taking many poops. I mean, maybe every three to four mm-hmm. days I would take a shit and it would be like a little nugget, you know? I'm. Mm. Um, oh, your poor oops. body. Oh, yeah. I'm. I. I had, uh, was getting dizzy all the time. It took me probably 30 seconds to a minute and a half once I stood up from sitting down to get my equilibrium back and not see fog, um, to actually start walking. I remember waking up in the middle of the night with night sweats because my hormones were so messed up. I wasn't bleeding. I wasn't having a period. Um, heart rate was super low really, really, really low resting heart rate. Blood pressure was abnormally low. I, I also happened at that period of time, I have always experienced some, some OCD sort of behavioral stuff. And it tends to come on more when I'm, when I was in that eating disorder phase. And so just was having a lot of rituals, habits, um, things that I thought I had to do, which actually I haven't really talked much about publicly. So I'm sharing, I just feel very comfortable with you. So I'm sharing it. I'm like had to touch the sink a number of times because if I didn't touch it a certain way, I'd get fat was the thought. Um, so it was pretty, uh, I was pretty miserable at that period of time. And yet I really thought that this is this, (laughs) that this is what I needed to do to get attention and, um, to go to extremes to get attention was the old story that I'm, I've been unwinding for the last 16 years. Like, I don't have to go to extreme measures to be supported and get attention anymore. Um, 
and then I had this moment, Tyler, where I remember it and it's, I'm feeling again, lots of my body, lots of chills, lots of feeling sensation. I'm, I went to the gym. It was like a normal quote unquote normal day that I had just been doing since I had been home from college and got in my car and I started driving home and I got really dizzy as I was driving and my cell phone was on really low battery and I had one of those Nokia cell phones at the time, you know, so we didn't have a, there wasn't voice <laughs> to text or something like that, you know, yeah. or, you know, and so, and I, I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to make it home right now. And, and I, I felt like I was dying and, um, I was not talking to my dad at the time, but his house was closer to the gym than my mom's was their divorce. And I drove to his house. I don't know how I got there by goddess willing. I got there safe. I think I drove like 50 or 60 miles per hour on the surface streets. And I remember getting up to his house and he had a girlfriend at the time. And, um, I got there and then I just collapsed. Like I couldn't, I couldn't open my eyes. I was lying on the bed and I was like, I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know what's happening to me. I don't know what's happening to me. I just remember kept saying that. And I was scared. I was like, I'm scared. I don't know what's happening right now. And um, so he put me in the back seat of his car and they drove me to the emergency room and got to the emergency room and they pulled me out, the doctors and the nurses, and they put me in a wheelchair and um, got put on IVs and, and after things had settled down a bit, um, the nurse and the doctor came in and they said, you, you actually had a panic attack, but the panic attack was very related to what's happening to your body internally from this eating disorder. And basically you got a choice now at this point. Um, and so that to me was my wake up call. I feel like I describe it like it was the grain of salt of what I would call my soul or my intuition or my inner voice that peeked through and said, you cannot keep doing this. If you choose to keep doing this, you will kill yourself. And mm-hmm. so you can, you can do that. And there's more for you here. And I really felt that. I don't think I had the words like exactly like I'm describing to you. And I felt mm-hmm. that it was this, this, what I would call my essence that came through. Mm-hmm. And so I said to my mom that night, I said, mom, I, I'm ready to get help. I'm ready to sit, to, to shift this. And there's lots more to the story of it. Um, you know, it didn't, it didn't come without some challenges or some fighting back, you know, um, I'm a very fiery person. So, um, yeah, I definitely fought the system for a while, but I, I did make the choice to check myself into the eating disorder inpatient unit at UCLA, which was one of the best in the country at that time, through the Western lens. Mm-hmm. And I will say now I'm a much more, I'm a very holistic woman. I very don't much go into the, the Western world, but I do believe that it's there for a purpose, and it did save my life, I really feel like. It, it, that was my, mm-hmm. that's what I needed the beginning part of my healing. Uh, now the holistic route has come in and that's really where I stand. But I think that I needed to go that route in that most immediate moment. And so it was a week later and I checked myself in. Um, and I was so weak. I couldn't walk up the stairs to the elevator. 
So my parents had to wheelchair me in. I mean, that this is really how how severe I took it to get attention mm-hmm. and to feel like I was enough. And to not even realize that that's what you exactly. were doing. You know, that's the part that really breaks my heart. And also the part that resonates most for me. You know, I, I listened to you telling your story. And throughout the season of this podcast, I, I find I'm often relating whatever my guests are talking about back to my own story. And as I'm listening to you, I'm like, yeah, I went to college and my self-worth and self-esteem was already on shaky ground, and I fell head head over heels in love with a boy who broke up with me, and it was the first real rejection I had ever experienced um, from a man, it felt like, and I started drinking, and listening to you talk about the anorexia and how it was like this subconscious effort to exercise control. Or, I mean, we could also say a subconscious exercise to erase your own existence, you know. For sure. Get, getting smaller and smaller, taking in less and less. And I think about me and alcohol and, like, how much I drank and for how long and how often I was so sick. Mm-hmm. Like... It was a, like that is some sort of disorder. Yes. <laughs> as well. Yeah, and for sure. And it's so interesting because I never had like sort of a medical intervention. However, you know, as you're talking about the healing from this kind of stuff doesn't come without its challenges. I would say that it's it's taken me probably 10 years at least to do that process of healing holistically because there's not only the physical aspect, but there's that heart, mind, and soul aspect of our healing that is really what your work is all about now. Yes. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Anytime we connect and feel a bit closer to you, share, appreciate our depth Mm. straight from the beginning. I know. (laughs) We're such a dream team. (laughs) We are. It's true. (laughs) So, I'd love to hear a little bit about the process of your healing. Also, I want to really acknowledge you for checking yourself into that program. It's it, it's so much more powerful, I think, to initiate our own healing. Mm-hmm. Self-initiation is so important as opposed to, you know, being dragged kicking and screaming to our healing yeah. by somebody else, which also can work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um <laughs> However, I think that self-initiation is really important. So I really want to honor Mm -hmm. the strength that you had 16 years ago to admit that you needed support. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Do you want me to share a bit about what the healing has been like? Yeah, I would love to hear, you know, because I think there's a misconception that, like, you go in for treatment for something like this, and then you're healed, wherein you and I really know that, that that bigger, more holistic healing process is something like, I mean, you said just a minute ago, there are parts of this that you're still unraveling mm-hmm. and still working yes. through. And so I would love to know just kind of a sketch of how that healing journey has been for you and maybe some of the biggest awarenesses and realizations that have come up 
in the time since then. I mean, we're covering such a long time span here, yeah. so really feel free to go where you feel called. Thank you. Okay. And I, I love how in sync we are <laughs> because <laughs> I was, how I was going to begin this was pretty much what you just narrated, which is, you know, I'm really clear that, and, and I think you and I talk about this a lot as you've helped me with coffee and writing and I'm, think there is this misconception out there especially in our world of personal growth self-development the healing arts that mm. I see so much in our industry where it says um, in the past I used to or mm. um, now I've completely healed which I'm I'm not discounting that I, I do think that we can have quantum shifts and I really feel that more and more as a leader, it's so important to me to be real and and share with people that are on their own path of this. But yeah, I am so different today than I was 16 years ago, and I am continuing to grow and learn and unravel and meet myself mm -hmm. in this consistent, constant discovery of myself and who I really am. Yeah. So... It's never no, done till you're exactly. dead. And even then it's not done, right? I mean, it, it, depending on <laughs> yeah. what you believe in, I feel like that's another podcast maybe. And you know, my <laughs> belief is that it's, it, it's the ongoing learning as a soul for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, yeah, I can fill you in a, a bit. So like I was saying, the Western model is the, the hospital that I was checked in, that I checked myself into. And it was, it it definitely saved my life. I mean, I, I, um, it got me eating again, uh, a more consistent diet. And when I say diet, I don't mean being on a diet. I just mean eating. Um, it, mm -hmm. I'd love to know how, how was that experience of re-engaging with putting food into your body? It was so fucking difficult. <laughs> yeah. I, I can share a little bit. I, I remember, gosh, well, not only on an emotional, I mean, all the emotional level that was happening, that, that was a huge part of it. And what I want to share is refeeding myself, which really what it was. My body was in shock. I remember the first couple weeks being in that unit. It hurt to eat because I had mm. shrunk my stomach so much. I'm... And they, they're really good about it. I mean, they don't just all of a sudden put you on 2,000 calorie diet after being on 200 calories. It's a slow process. Um, and it's interesting as I'm talking about this, I feel the chills in my body. Um, uh, not the chills, but more of a chill. And that to me is like trauma moving through. So I'm just present to that. Um, I remember being in such digestive pain. Um, probably TMI, but I'm just going for it. Um I was super constipated for a couple weeks and finally they kept giving me all these things like milk of magnesia and all this stuff and finally I was able to go to the bathroom and I actually lost a couple pounds from when I had first walked into that unit, which was so <laughs> crazy, right? Um, mm -hmm. And emotionally it was, it, it, it felt like because my identity was so wrapped in, at that time, my identity was so wrapped in what I put in my mouth that it felt like a part of me was dying. Um, I never really thought about that, but I appreciate the question because it really does. When I tune into that, I felt like, now who am I? Because this was the thing that I had that I could tell myself, this is who I am. 
and I could over-identify with that. And it was coming so much from the outside. That theme is so powerful. I've, I've recently identified that, you know, I left my last full-time job, I don't even know how long ago now, three years, four years, who knows. Uh, and I realized that what I've been doing you know, I thought that, like, what I was doing in the time since then has been getting clear on, like, what I want to do in the world. But really, that part has always been pretty clear for me, and I realize now that what I've actually been doing in the last three or four years is learning how to live without the external validation from being good at my job. And that I've really needed to, like sit in a space of kind of doing nothing and being nothing and producing next to nothing in order to get okay with just being here without, you know, having to be a quote-unquote productive member of society, whatever that means. Exactly. (laughs) And it's just like those those frequencies energetically are so similar. Very much so. It reminds me so much of, of what really I feel like my mission here with my own life and then in sharing that with others is, is this insourcing versus this outsourcing and not to say that outsourcing is wrong and insourcing is right or vice versa. And it's this, to me, you know, what, what I'm most interested in right now is this insourcing so that I'm really clear that then when I do get that external validation, because it's nice to get that, um, mm-hmm. that I know who, that I'm good with myself inside. Mm-hmm. It feels especially great when you start to receive that external validation when you've come to a point where you don't need it anymore. (laughs) And then it's just like icing and you're like, oh my God. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. I, I can, I know that there are points in my work that I do that I can tell when I'm in that, that grip and that hook of wanting it from the outside and then I don't Mm -hmm. get it, you know? And, and yeah, well, social media oh, is gosh. such a challenging driver of that too. Cause it's like, how many likes, how many loves, gosh, how many so comments? <laughs> so I have to much. coach myself to like, put the phone oh, down, me too. walk away. Me too. <laughs> I feel like we have lots of themes that we can talk about for podcasts here. Um, mm-hmm. so going back, um, I was there for four and a half months and mm. it definitely got me back to a foundation Um, and yet there was still a lot of things that I, it really helped me on more of a structural level. Let's say, um, I was back up to eating a certain amount of calories a day and my exercise was monitored and, you know, my health was more stable and yet, and yes, there was definitely some looking at some of the emotional pieces through that Western lens, which again, a grateful for. And yet I feel like what was missing for me is there was still this disconnect with who, like myself, with that source, with my, I'm going to keep calling it soul for me. Mm-hmm. And similar actually to you is then I went back to college and it, it manifested and I had a huge year. I was such a good girl growing up and I mm-hmm. didn't really drink in, in high school and didn't, too, didn't have sex in high school. I was, I was, I was one of those like drama nerd. I'm, um, mm-hmm. you know, just student council. 
Um, yeah. And then I got back into college. I was 19, and I my eating disorder came out in other ways. It came out in, in drinking for a year and had sex with six guys in one year after being a virgin up until 19. Um, mm, that's a big It was shift. a huge shift. Yeah, huge shift. And, and looking back on it, I can see, again, it was like I was that external validation. Um, yeah. That I was still... Getting it wherever exactly. you can. Yeah. Who's going to love exactly. me? Exactly. <laughs> How can I use this body of mine to get love? Exactly, right? Yes. Yes. And in college, I, I studied um, exercise and health science, group fitness, personal training, and sociology. It was a double minor in all the exercise and health fitness stuff. And then I majored in sociology. Mm. And so I got really into fitness, the fitness world and the background of that. And I became a personal trainer and, you know, it it did ground me. I I really feel it did. Um, For that period of time in my life, I would say up until I was 26, that was, it it kept me stable. It still was a place I over-identified. And it Mm -hmm. kept me stable. Um, and then this is where the, my healing journey started to shift. So, wait, I just have yeah. to say before you go on that I'm like being blown away by the parallels in our in our really? life path because you're talking about like this is the thing that anchored me and grounded mm-hmm. me, and I'm like, I moved to New York. It was all over the place. My best friend died, and then I I got this job with um the the last full time job that I had, and that job is what anchored me and grounded me, and I still totally over identified, mm. and I was still drinking way too much because that was definitely part of the culture yeah. there, and it wasn't until like around twenty six, twenty seven that the real healing began. Mm. So I just wanted to be like, I'm with you, yeah. I'm with you. Remind me how old <laughs> okay, you are again. Okay, uh, I am turning thirty one this okay. July. Cool. Yeah, and I'll be 35 this November. Okay, cool. So, yeah, mm-hmm. similar. Um, mm-hmm. So, around 26, I did a triathlon. And I knew going through that training, I worked with a trainer at that time, and I knew going through that that life was going to shift. I just had this feeling. Um, and I crossed the finish line of the triathlon. It was a sprint triathlon, by the way, for anyone who's wondering. It was not a full-on <laughs> triathlon, but it was it was a bucket list goal, and I'm glad I did it, and I'll probably never do one again. Um, Wait, what does that mean, a sprint triathlon as opposed to a regular it's triathlon? It's shorter. So, so many years ago now, I think it was, yeah, the, the run was shorter, the, the, the bike was shorter, the swim was shorter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys can Google it if you really yeah, want to know. There you go. Um, and I crossed that finish line and I, um, and I feel like I blew up my life again, which was a really beautiful blessing in disguise. Uh, and some of the ways I did that is I was really unhappy in the personal training job that I was doing, um, at the studio that I was at rather, not the actual personal training itself. Mm -hmm. And the next day I walked in and ended up quitting my job at that studio. Um, this guy that I was madly in love with broke up with me. thought I was going to marry him. Mm. And oh. he broke up with me. And it was such a short relationship. It was like we were together for like a month and a half. So it's not like we had this long-term <laughs> in-depth relationship. Yeah. And yet, there it goes again. There was my pattern, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is it. 
this is my future, he's my prince, you know, um, validation, validation. <laughs> exactly, uh, and so he broke up with me, I quit my job, I, I feel like the way I would say it is that I feel like rose-colored glasses came off, I, I started seeing that the friendships I had weren't really very authentic, oh, uh, yeah, wow, what, what is this friend, what are these friendships really steeped in, I don't you're like, I don't feel supported yeah, here. exactly. And then to top it off, my body, um, my body broke down, which is so weird to even say that because I can't give you a uh, exact description because when I went to the doctor, they couldn't, nothing came back on the test. It wasn't like, oh, you have anemia or you are la la la. Um, mm-hmm. And yet it felt very similar to when... Now that I actually feel into it, felt very similar to in some ways when I was hospitalized. Um, mm-hmm. it was hard to walk. My muscles felt tight, tense. It was like my body. To me, I feel like it was like a spiritual wake up call. Is what I really feel personally. Um, because I'm all about mm-hmm. the work I do, and you know this because you and I have talked much about this. Is I really feel like our bodies are such an ally, and they communicate when life is not totally in alignment or something is asking and and craving your attention. And I can really Mm -hmm. look back at it from now this lens of this, this work and and see how my body was really saying, Hey sister, (laughs) something's out of alignment. Listen to me. I'm not going to let you move. Listen to me. Exactly. Exactly. And so the only form of movement at that time I was still very 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 steeped in my type anus and through exercise and so you know, that was a lot of still my work and uh, the only form of movement I could really do was yoga and I remember walking into a yoga room and I love yoga so much by the way I just made, as soon as I just said I remember walking into a yoga room I, I felt this ah you know when you meet someone and yeah. you you have this love like just full instant love of somebody that's how I feel about yoga and I still feel that way mm-hmm. many years later um yeah it's such a special practice well it's it so is. I mean it's so sacred on so many yes. levels it really is and so I walked in at that time I really thought yoga was just exercise and to me now yoga mm-hmm. is it, that's only one one mini minuscule of yoga is the asana practice but that's more to get to later and even though I was super resistant to it and I made up a story that it was not physical enough and because, again, I thought it was just a physical practice, um, something kept me coming back. And what I want to share is that thing that kept me coming back. It's hard to put into words because it's such a, for me, it's such a direct feeling and experience and also I'll do my best to put it into words as I there were moments and glimmers where I could feel myself just breathing just in it it tears me up you know could just feel myself just breathing where for a glimmer of a moment I didn't hear you're not good enough I was able to step back from that and see it for what it really was rather than something that was me that I thought was me for so long 
I thought that that was me for so long. And these glimmers of moments where I just felt me. I felt my breath. I felt my toes on the floor. I felt my back and my skin. And then I'd go back in the story again, and I'd say, oh, you know, but okay, there's something, you know, and it's not physical. And then, and then I'd have another moment. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is what really began this more holistic side of things, that I feel like there was no accident that my body broke down in that particular way that brought me to my yoga mat, that took me to that yoga studio that kept me coming back. And there's so much more to say on this, so you can ask me any more questions. Um, but that was really the beginning, and then there's been so much more from that. I mean, I can share more as you as you ask, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's so it's so gorgeous because I feel like what we're really talking about, and again, it's so similar for me. I I danced until the time I went to college, and then. Um, around the time of that breakup, you know, moving into my second semester, I think I was still enrolled in a dance class, but I stopped going so consistently and started dancing less and less and really got away from movement. And really similarly to you, like that yoga has been a practice that has enabled me to kind of find myself again. And it's just that incredible thing that you described so beautifully of like, I can just feel my heart beating and feel my breath and here I am and this is all that needs to exist is this moment. Yes. yes. And I also love that you so gorgeously highlighted, you know, that it, it's not like, it's not like you have one hit of this and then it just stays with you your whole life. It's like you get these little glimmers. And you can keep coming back and maybe like cultivate having that presence more and more, you know, which I, I have to say one of my most favorite things <laughs> about, about you is how you've really anchored that feeling of presence into so much of your life now and infused it into so much of your work. You know, I just think about that one phone call we were on where I was doing some huge processing and you were holding space for me so beautifully and just anchoring both of us so beautifully through the simple process of staying connected to your breath while you and I were on the phone. Mm -hmm. I mean, that for me, that was one of the most powerful experiences ever in terms of being held simply in presence, you know? Yes. And like, that's, that's what we're here to cultivate inside this holistic healing work, I believe. I that too too well tell us now a little bit more about how that healing has brought you to the work that you do now and why this whole journey has been so incredible you know because I think given where you are now I'll project onto you I imagine that you can look back on this whole journey you know from the time you were very young and experiencing those unhealthy projections from your mother and then, you know, the two bouts of anorexia and then even the things that you've experienced since around 
trying to find that validation outside yourself has brought you so gorgeously to where you are now and who you're meant to be now and the work that you're doing now with other women. So anything, I don't know, you tell me what's present for you. (laughs) Well, thank you. I, I, yeah, I feel, I feel that, that time where I, I was introduced to yoga in, in that particular way, I had, I had gone to Bikram, I think maybe a couple years prior to that, but it didn't really stick. Um, mm-hmm. I really feel that that created an opening and it created an opening for me for something more. Um, and not the something more like I've been talking about this whole podcast of something more from outside of me or something more because mm-hmm. I need to consume more or I'm not enough and there's more. It to me opened up the something more that led me back inward and more internal. And just like you're speaking to this presence piece to become more present to the people, the signs, the symbols, the thoughts, the intuition that I feel has really, I feel so blessed and guided. And I know that sounds a bit woo-woo-y and I don't mean it that way. I I just, I really feel so blessed and guided that (laughs) I feel like the more I've opened to myself inside, to this vastness that is me, to this dynamic that is me, this ever-evolving, ever-shifting, erratic, messy that is me, um, this roller coaster that is me Uh, yeah it's invited me to really be even more present to what I really feel like is for me and um and then to be more discerning of what's not for me and in giving some examples of that um Yoga then led me to do teacher, to led me to a class here in Santa Barbara with a dear friend who actually, it's so cool that we're having this podcast because I just went to a yoga class with her and now our journeys have brought us into a whole full circle of our relationship. And at that point in time though, she was my first teacher. Um, Mm. And now we're more peers. Wait, I have to tell you something. Please, please. (laughs) So I'm having a similar experience with um, with Jess Grippo, who introduced you and I. I. Love that. And it's like I had stopped dancing forever, and then Sally, who used to co-host the podcast with me, gifted me a spot in Jess's first ever "You Can Dance Again" workshop. Oh my god! So that's how Jess and I met, and. Ever since then, I feel like she's been trying to get me to, to dance more. Just like said, she'll come back in. She tries to get me to dance more. And I've, you know, resisted quite a bit. But I just committed to doing a, I think it's an eight-week Yay. program with her that will culminate in a solo dance performance. And our first in-studio session is oh tonight. Oh, my gosh. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Anyway, oh, my gosh. I know. I just had, I was like, it's, we're just living the same life on opposite coasts. For sure. For <laughs> sure. You, I, I would really love for you to come to, to visit me on the West Coast here. Um, I'm yes, going to. Please, Don't you worry please, about please. it. Uh, I want to come for one of your retreats. I would love it. I would so love it. Yes. They are really delicious. Anyway, I kind of interrupted That's okay. you. Though. I loved, I loved your interruption because I actually just talked to Jessica <laughs> last night. Her and I Her and I talk a lot. She's one of my best friends, even though we don't live on the same coast. But we're... We love we you, We love you, Jess. Jess, if you are listening to this. 
<laughs> she better listen to this. I know, right? <laughs> I'm going to make her now. I'll be like, you have to listen to me yeah. all the way through. <laughs> um, mm. So, so the opening, yes. I, I started, then I went to yoga teacher training, and I really dove in, and um, which then opened up a portal, I feel like, that led me to my coach, who I've been working with for seven years, who actually lived mm-hmm. on the East Coast. Well, she still does. She lived in New York, and now she's in North Carolina, Joanna Lindenbaum. Shana Joanna. That's right. She's amazing, by the way. She's incredible. I haven't worked with her, but my mother oh, has, and says incredible that's things. Your mom was so sweet. I got to do one retreat with her, with, with Joanna, or a training that Joanna had Our world is so, such a small it world. Is. It really is. Um, <laughs> In the best way. I agree. I know, right? And it, it is, it is, and we live on the opposite sides of the United States, and it's so interconnected. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So, led me to Joanna, and at that time, Yogalicious, which is the name of my business, I was just an idea. And I'm sharing my, about my business because I really feel like my business has been my healing path and journey. And as much mm-hmm. as I am teaching and sharing this work now, I am still consistently a student. Um, and Yogalicious was just an idea. It was a blog. It was, I knew that I had wanted to bring some piece together of loving yourself and accepting yourself in your body as is and teaching women how to care and tend to themselves and I don't even think I had these words seven years ago, to be quite honest, but now I can mm-hmm. say it from this other side of it. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have a savings. I didn't have a huge fatty loan for my family. Um, I knew, though, that this business was important because I knew that for as much as I am meant to share this, that this, it's through this vehicle of sharing it that I'm also going to continue to grow. And, and I've, I've, really felt that and I've had that reflected to me from other teachers astrologists people in in that healing world that there is mm-hmm. there is an importance for me in my own path to be in this space of teacher as well um mm-hmm. and so I started I closed down my personal training business at the end of 2011 early 2012 and didn't know how I was going to do it financially, but I just knew I was meant to do it. And um, that led me into learning so much about ritual and women's cycles and a lot about, I want to talk about the patriarchy, a lot about the patriarchy and, and, and <laughs> these social constructs of beauty and enoughness and femininity and masculinity and all of it, right? Um, yeah. Which then led me from working with Joanna and I continue to work with her, um, into learning and studying with Gay and Katie Hendricks, mostly Katie Hendricks, who they lead trainings in Ojai and I, I believe they, they lead them around the world, but mostly in, in Ojai, California. And, um, was very turned on by their work of body intelligence and somatic work mm-hmm. because I feel like for so many years through this journey of mine, it's, it had to, and I really do believe this. I think that it, it, maybe not for everybody. I don't think it's so black and white. And I do believe that sometimes for a good long while, it is too much for people to get into their bodies. They need to stay at more of the mental level for a while and process that. And then there's only so much, I believe, in the talk 
world that you can do. There's only so much mental affirmation, that sort of thing that you can do. And, and then it really has to be, how is your body experiencing this? How are you moving this through your body? Because it, we can have a whole nice, good old story about I love myself, and yet what is your body actually feeling? If you still feel like there's a contraction there, there's something to play with. Um, and not making any sensation right or wrong either. I really live in that paradigm. I feel like that this work through these different mentorships and, and people that I've studied with and continue to is really getting out of this idea of right and wrong, all or nothing, good or bad, and to get back into inclusivity and all is welcome. Mm -hmm. And that to me has been a huge part of my healing, has been a huge part of it. Like even to accept that that one in me that did all those things back in the day and starved myself and deprived myself and abused myself, that she's actually part of the party too and she's lovable. Mm -hmm. that is an important piece mm. of that I've really gotten in my healing in this work that I feel is so pivotal and important because I, I I'm gonna stand on it for a moment this is what I stand for I, I just get <laughs> I get super passionate when I start to see things online that say um that make something right or wrong or that mm -hmm. um what do I want to say? I feel like I, I just paused. I, I froze for a moment because I, I get really excited about this. So give me a moment because I, I want to I want to articulate this. Um, yeah, and take your time. This allergy that I have to get rid of fear, become fearless, um, mm. only be positive, light in love. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. I, well, that's a dangerous thing to it teach so because it's dangerous. still teaching us to suppress our exactly. shadow, which like being able to engage authentically with your shadow, I think is one of the most important parts of healing. If you can't do that, you aren't going to heal. I mean, that is spiritual bypassing. Exactly. Which again, we could have a whole podcast episode just about spiritual exactly. bypassing. <laughs> and so, you know what there, I recently heard a, a name for this approach, um, and I have you read Power versus Force? I haven't. I've heard of it though. Who who writes it? David okay. Hawkins, I think. And it um, it's really an amazing book. It's it's pretty science heavy. I really love it though. And he talks about this framework and calls it devotional non duality, mm. which I'm obsessed mm, with now. <laughs> I like that. I want to know more. It sounds really good. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like the sense of what we're talking about. I mean, that to me, if I, if you ask me to sum up my healing journey, <laughs> it is about integrating the shadow for me. It's about loving all parts of me. It's about saying, Hey, you know what? Yeah, I do still have that perfectionist inside me. And that one that is really manipulative and that one that is really destructive. And how can I integrate that and love that part of me and give it then a, a different job, a better job that it doesn't have to take over my aliveness and my vitality mm -hmm. and my, to me though, essential expression is about integrating all these parts and that full circle of your question is I feel like through these different vehicles and continuing to follow this opening is what continues to give me the space to, where I continue to give myself the space to expand into more and more mm -hmm. of who I am and then hold that space for others because I feel like like you said it's dangerous 
just teach get rid of fear or you know once you get all fixed up and figured out and you're not broken anymore then you're going to be great you know mm. It's mm-hmm, dangerous. Mm-hmm. It sets it's people like you're up. not broken right exactly. now. Nobody's There's broken. nothing to fix. <laughs> I mean, this is the pillar of my work. There's nothing to fix. You are not a, a, a project to work on here. You're not an improvement project. <laughs> you are not an improvement project. You are an appreciation project. We want to use any word of it, you know. Mm, I love that. And being about learning to appreciate all the aspects of you instead of only appreciating the aspects of you that get validation and then hiding the rest. That is what the shadow is. Exactly. And I can hear sirens in the back of you. It's, no, it's great though. It's because it rings true. It's exactly. <laughs> the sirens are, are there. It's like, you know, when the president gets in his car and they have all the, the sirens, <laughs> they're all, all the police escorts. See, they're, they're escorting us and mm-hmm. saying, hell yes. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. It, that, yeah. And, and so for me, if we take it full circle, does that, does that dialogue of I'm not enough still show up? Yes. Does my worth and validation, do I still look to the outside sometimes? Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and, <laughs> and it's, it's in this practice of integration and self-acceptance that continues to bring me back. And I'm, gonna say something else I had a really good thought and I lost it so maybe it will spark again well I have a thought please yes I just wanted to tell everybody that if you're kind of like listening to us and you're like what do they mean integrate the shadow Mm -hmm. that um in the show notes for this podcast I'm gonna put a link to can we link to your newsletter about the when you were getting messy doing the dishes yes absolutely because I feel like that is such a beautiful and lighthearted example of what integrating the shadow can begin to look like when we talk about it in a concrete, like, day-in, day-out yes. sense of how we begin to integrate these parts of us that we've traditionally avoided. Yes. So I will link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, please do. You can link any blog that you feel like would be relevant for people to read as well. I'm just gonna put 700 links in there. <laughs> I we didn't really like call this out at, like at the very beginning of the episode, but I support mm. Melanie with her writing. Mm. So um, we work really intimately on supporting her and having her strongest possible energetic transmission via written text. Mm. So we've been deepening into these themes around this conversation forever. Yeah. For I mean, how long have we been working together? Six months? I think longer. Maybe longer. Nine months. It was right around the time that I launched my six-month group program last year. So that was in was in August, I believe, because it was um, Mm -hmm. I was doing that podcast series, and you helped me Mm -hmm. write the copy for that. And yeah, so it's been it's been almost a year. This podcast actually won't come out until mid July. So by the time it comes out, we really will be probably right at our one-year anniversary, which is fun. (laughs) I love it. (sighs) So is there anything else that's really powerfully present for you before I ask kind of our closing questions? Mm -hmm. Let me see if there's anything else I want to share. Mm Mm-hmm.
feel like we've been speaking to it the whole time and just really pulling it back in, coming home that it just feels really important to say that it really is a journey and this myth of arrival or this myth of perfection is really just a myth and um, to me it's really about the practice and and having a good time, <laughs> letting my, you know, mm-hmm. letting letting myself or whoever's listening, just letting yourself enjoy. Um, it's a practice. It's a practice. It's really what I come back to. It's a practice. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, a practice, and the other word that's always so present for me when when we deepen into the conversation around practice is it's a discipline too. Yeah. I, I get away from that it's word. Like, that mm. word for me, it's interesting, I think, because for so many years I was so disciplined. I um, I know what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I've um, I've moved away well, from discipline to devotion. Mm, oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, discipline for me, um, I worked with a coach, Tara Marino, who I think is the first person who started talking about the etymology of the word discipline mm. and discipline comes from disciple, which means like to learn. Love that. So for me, discipline is less about like stringent mm. adherence to something and more about a learned way of being. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so that I full on yes resonate with you on. <laughs> so we've got mm. discipline and devotion, yes. which both of those words are so beautiful. And uh, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about, and I do feel like I want to ask you this okay. question, so I am going to ask before yeah. we wrap up. When you were sharing much earlier in the podcast about kind of having these OCD tendencies and these rituals that you needed to adhere to, there was a little, like, ding, ding, ding in my brain because so much of the work that you do now and the, and the teaching that you do now is about ritual, and it's like... The light side and the shadow side of ritual both feel really present. And I'm wondering if you can speak um, to that kind of metamorphosis from that like OCD kind of ritual that's, I feel like it's almost like you're clinging to to keep you somehow attached to reality Mm -hmm. as opposed to this um, more intimate, more sacred, or I don't know if it's more intimate or more sacred. Maybe they're equally intimate and sacred in different ways, but you hold rituals so beautifully in your work and in your teaching. So I would love for you to speak briefly about, about that. Yeah. Good question. Um, well, I'll, I'll prelude it with, there are still times where the dark, darker, more shadowy sides of that ritual come in and, and it's, and I'm definitely more present to it and more aware of it now. And, and I really feel like what you're asking, what it speaks to is what I was sharing earlier, which is, um, to me, it's about acknowledging that, taking taking that more shadow side of the ritual out of um, shame for me and mm-hmm. getting to the core of, I love what you just said, and I, I'm not going to articulate it exactly as you said it, because I don't remember exactly the words you said, but it, it really resonated. <laughs> to me, what I heard in, in what you said is, even on that maybe more shadowy side of it, is it, it brought me back into reality I think is what you said something like that um and what I heard in that is it grounds me and and I do and I think in some ways it grounded me it brought me back to the 
the physicality of myself into then opening up to the emotionality and spirituality of myself. And I don't mean to use big words here, so I'll get as much to the core as possible. But um, I love the big words. Right. And um, <laughs> I feel like for me, it's been about shifting that and getting to the core of what's the essential gift here of that OCD behavior and that ritual. And I, I feel like for me, the gift has been that it does bring a sense of purpose and a sense of connection and a sense of um, physicality to the moment for me. And so then it's been about shifting that energy into what I would say, things that are just more in service of me. Not that the OCD was wrong, and I know you're not saying this, I'm saying this to myself. Not that the OCD was wrong, and then you know now the light side of the ritual is good. It's just um, really at the end of the day, one just exhausts me. <laughs> when I'm in OCD ritual land where I'm obsessing on something, it, it exhausts me. It, I, I, feel, I feel exhausted. I exhaust myself um, in that. And so being able to then shift and channel that energy into ritual grounds me and being able to, especially in the morning, wake up and do a meditation or draw a card or um, sip a cup of tea and my herbs in the morning and just take a moment to really mm -hmm. connect to nature and take a deep breath. Those are the ways that I feel like I have channeled that energy of what I was wanting which was a sense of safety a sense of ground um i mean i think all that ocd behavior stuff back in the day was all based on safety and grounding and making sure i didn't fade away into nothing i think you know there's mm -hmm. a sense of definitely a sense of safety though um mm -hmm. which i feel like has transformed itself through this other way of ritual which to me is feels when I feel into the energy of that, it's like there's a sacredness to it. Uh, not that there wasn't a sacredness, I guess, to the other, but it just, it fills me up now. There's a sense of plumping out into myself more, um, where in the other way it was more constricting. Nothing wrong with it, just more constricting, more narrowing, rather than this is more expanding and yeah, plumping it's out. Like, this is nourishing yes. rather than grasping at straws which go. is yeah. how it kind of feels it's so interesting because as you're talking I'm thinking you know you and I have talked a lot about ritual and I feel like I've had this conversation with quite a few other people as well and the thing I'm deepening into more and more is like we all already have ritual even if our ritual is not having a ritual that is a ritual yes exactly you know I mean? like if you are running out the door to work every morning, not having fed yourself and not having caffeinated yourself or showered yourself or stretched yourself or, you know, that is your ritual. So it's so interesting because I think for a long time when people would talk about like ritualizing things in your life, it felt like this big kind of task where it's like I have to build something totally brand new and really you just need to take a look at what you're already doing identify the parts that do feel good and the parts that don't and then make little changes you yes. know I think sometimes when especially when people are getting into personal growth and they start to hear this talk about ritual it can feel so overwhelming mm -hmm. but you know Something as simple as taking three deep breaths when your alarm goes off before you turn off the alarm or before you get out of bed could be a beautiful ritual. Exactly. 
Yes. Ugh, I love start, it's like starting small. Yes. <laughs> I love that you said that. And that's so much of, I mean, I know you know this because we've talked about it behind the scenes too, is um, that's so much of what I, I share with my clients. Because you're right, it can feel, a lot of times, my, my common experience that I have with people that come to work with me is it feels like they have, they, they feel like they have to do this huge reboot on their life and that it's so separate and it's so big. And what I really help them come back to or support them, I don't even like the word help, um, support them in coming back to is, is this, is this, it can be simple and you can work it into what you're already up to. And it's about, to me, a shift of where you're giving your attention. So, like you said, everything is a ritual. It so is, right? Even the obsession is a ritual, right? Um, even mm-hmm. the, um, the self-doubt is a ritual, you know? Well, also, I mean, I love that you said that. And for me, um, I think all about in my life how self-medicating has totally. been a ritual. Like reaching for a glass of wine or reaching for a marijuana or, you know, whatever. Or reaching for mm-hmm. sugar, whatever. Like, that is also a ritual, and it's just that we aren't always fully present to the things we have ritualized. Exactly. And so it's about getting present to what what really does turn me on, what does really nourish me, what does feed me. And sometimes Mm -hmm. the sugar does still feed me, you know? And it's about just getting present to to really what feeds me. What feeds me Mm -hmm. spiritually, emotionally, physically, sexually, all of it. Mm. what a gorgeous full circle because it's like the whole topic of our conversation is about starving ourselves it's so true (laughs) it's so true yeah and what a gorgeous place to have landed yeah I love it I love it it is yeah I mean it was yeah I was starving myself literally but also I felt starved you know spiritually emotionally Mm -hmm. physically all of it so now it's about what feeds me beyond just food. Well, on that note, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes again and start taking a few deep breaths and feeling into the expansiveness of where you are now. And also looking back to that girl 16 years ago in the wheelchair, the one who both is and isn't you. <laughs> And when you feel really present in this moment, if you could share with me one word how you're feeling. Spacious. Mm. And if you could speak directly to that girl from the woman that you are right now today, what would you say to her? Mm. Mm, That makes me tear up. I would say to her, I see you. I really see you. And I love you. Oh, I love you, <laughs> Melanie. <laughs> I love you so much. This was so beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing so openly and vulnerably with me. I really, really appreciate your presence. You're so welcome. Thank you for holding that space. I feel like uh, you hold a beautiful container for that to exist. So thank you. My total pleasure. (laughs) I wish I could just hop off this call and come to some yoga with you right now. (laughs) 
someday, someday we'll get there. And for anybody out there listening who wants to find out more about Melanie and how to work with her and how to do yoga with her and partake in all of the incredible things that she does, like I said, we're going to put all of her info in the show notes and links to anything she's got going on when this podcast episode comes out in July. And Melanie, is there anything else you want to say to our listeners before we sign off? Thank you for being with us and appreciating mm-hmm. your presence. Um, even if I don't ever physically connect with you or meet you, appreciate you being with us. Mm-hmm. What she said. <laughs> <laughs> mm. All right. Well, until next time, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening all the way through. Isn't Melanie amazing? (laughs) She's so phenomenal. I love her so much. Okay, so you're here to hear about the special offer. Melanie is hosting a retreat coming up, and it's in Ojai, California. So if you're already like, oh, that counts me out, then sorry. (laughs) But if you're like, oh, Ojai, I could go to Ojai. Um, The dates of the retreat are August 2nd to the 5th in Ojai, four delicious days and three nights dedicated to you. Um, And I'm reading from her website, so I'll tell you. Uh, The weekend is a powerful and healing combination of self-discovery and exploration, yoga, asana, self-loving practices, nourishment of your mind, body, spirit, sisterhood, community, and so much more. And let's see. It's thing that starts a Thursday morning, August 2nd. It ends Sunday night, August 5th. Oh, Sunday. Uh, sorry, I'm reading the details. It's Thursday to Sunday. You can look up the details because I'm going to put the link in the show notes. So your accommodations are included. All of your meals cooked by a private chef. Um, all of the activities and use of the property, including a pool. And then oh, all that noise in the background. Mm, see, don't you need a retreat from the noise? <laughs> Anyway, so this is going to be incredible. Melanie is such a fierce teacher, and she has so much integrity. And, and personally, that's what I look for, both in a teacher and in a friend. And anyone who has the opportunity to learn with this woman is just so deeply blessed. So for anyone who's a listener of the podcast, she's offering a $500 discount off of the retreat. And now you're probably going, well, how much does the retreat cost? Truth is... I don't know because (laughs) Melanie didn't tell me. What she did tell me is that she's offering this incredible gift to all of you and that she's also offering totally no strings attached um, complimentary like consult calls to see if this even feels like a fit. So you can get on the phone with Melanie and get a little bit of Melanie love if you're already feeling her vibes, um, even if you're not sure about the retreat. And she'll help you decide and she'll be honest with you if she doesn't feel like it's a good fit. And if she does feel like it's a good fit, she's going to say, great. off and you're going to be like yes amazing and then it's going to be beautiful and you're going to go be supported and held in her loving special precious container of transformation oh I wish I could go I wish I could go if somebody wants to pay for me to go I would love to go (laughs) um I would also need my travel covered just putting it out there universe anyway the last thing I want to say is that I talked at the top of the episode about the work that Melanie and I do together. And I am sometimes vague when I'm talking about my work, and that's because I've still been figuring it out. But I want to let you know that 
Um, I'm starting to really understand what I do, and it's about um, transforming text. And while I'm transforming text, I also support women in transforming and upgrading their belief systems and becoming more expansive in their lives and in the transmission of their energy to others through that text. And so I, you know, I've co-authored a couple books now, and I've edited books, and I co-author many a newsletter. And if that's something that you're looking for in your life, someone who can support you in stepping more fully into the power of who you are through writing, I would love to talk to you about working together. So I am also offering complimentary consultation calls. And if you'd like one, you can send me a little email to a year ago podcast at gmail.com and we can see how I might be able to support you. And yeah, that's great. That's all. Those are all the special offers. <laughs> all right. Love to all of you. If you're taking Melanie's retreat, let me know. Oh, I want to hear all about it. And I want you to send me a picture of you guys together. <laughs> okay. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.